Welcome to the latest episode of Running the Race Podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To find out more about First Baptist Church of Gonzales or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, fbcg.net slash rtr. Our speakers today are Dr. Jim Law, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Gonzales, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray. In this episode, Brother Jim and Alex ask the question, what if Jesus had never been born? To answer, they talk about the often invisible influences Christianity has had on Western culture. Next, they explore some of the ways that Jesus' life and teachings still affect our lives today. Finally, Alex and Jim discuss the impact of the Christian witness on the world around us. This is Alex Ray here with Jim Law, and today we're talking about a really great topic, I think, for the church today, which we're playing the what-if game. And the what-if game is, what if Jesus had never been born? And I think that's a really interesting question to think through, especially as we approach Christmas, Jim, because we, I, I would argue, that we live in a world that is saturated with Christian influence. Mm. That it, it, we're, it's the water we're swimming in, it's the air that we're breathing. And even though um, church attendance and uh, maybe waning a little bit, uh, even pre-COVID, uh, and, and maybe uh, there's some surveys that seem to suggest that uh, there's an overall or lack of a robust theological understanding even in the church uh, for those who go, uh, I still think it's important for us to understand uh, that it's really significant that the world that we inhabit is incredibly affected by the life of Christ 2,000 years later. And I came across this quote recently in my reading. The guy named Tom Holland, he wrote a book called uh, yes. uh, Dominion. He, he is not a Christian. Uh, he's very clear about that. But, here, but here's what he said. He said this. He said, to live in a Western country is to live in a society still utterly saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions. The West, meaning us, the West, increasingly empty though the pews may be, remains firmly moored to its Christian past. And so I, I, I thought that was a really interesting statement, especially yeah. for someone who's not a Christian, who says, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in, in the religious claims of Christianity, but um, he, he, would say, he says elsewhere that his moral convictions, the things that he holds uh, dear to him, are very much influenced um, by Christianity. And I think, I, th- I think his gauge here on the Western world is accurate as well. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that, Jim? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, when I think of, uh, I read one of Holland's books, he's a scholar in the ancient world, mm-hmm. and um, I really appreciated, you know, that statement. Uh, you know, for us as believers, um, Christmas time really is a, is a time in the life of the church where we uh, come to familiar passages in the Bible that um, explain and describe the birth narratives of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we make no apology about what we believe uh, concerning that. But these are important passages of Scripture as they not only give to us uh, promises um, which proclaim who He is uh, and why He came, uh, namely He is the Son of God and that He came to save us from our sins, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they also anchor His birth in history. So I would think someone who comes to church twice a year on Christmas and Easter may be tempted to say, um, what coming during Advent time, is, wow, these people are in a rut. Every year they're talking about the same thing. Right. And, um, and we, we, we claim guilty to that because uh, we believe the, the, the coming of Christ is such a monumental event. 
and has impacted every aspect of history. Right. Early in my ministry, Alex, I came across a book by D. James Kennedy, and I kind of have this eclectic um, uh, men, uh, uh, mentor uh, mentorship, you know, with various pastors. D. James Kennedy is is one of them, and he uh, he wrote a book entitled "What If Jesus Had Never Been Born." He also wrote "What If the Bible Had Never Been Written," but mm-hmm. that would be another podcast. But I, that that book really captured me as a, an important survey of history. It's a gripping question, and he writes that the greatest tragedy of the Christmas holiday each year is not so much its commercialization, gross as that is, but its trivialization. Mm-hmm. How tragic it is that people have forgotten him to whom they owe so much. You know, even those who are the beneficiaries of living in this nation, the wealthiest nation that's ever existed, how much uh, comes to us uh, through the blessing of the gospel. And so, what if Jesus? Had, what if what if Jesus had never been born? Some would say, "Well, we'd be a lot better off," um, which I think is a, a really ignorant statement. Um, French philosopher and historian uh, Ernest uh, Renan said that all history is incomprehensible without Jesus Christ. And some would balk at this, and they would say, "Wait, wait a minute! History goes back five thousand years." Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't need Jesus to comprehend history. But for us, this is really a recognition that the coming of Christ was promised from the very beginning. Right. And so when he came and was born in Bethlehem, it was a fulfillment of massive prophetic um, power as God fulfilled his promises the first one given in the Garden of Eden, that one would come from the seed of woman who would crush the tempter's head. So, you know, just on that thought, this podcast conversation uh, that we're going to have today, Alex, I, I anticipate not to be from a presuppositional approach to Christian apologetics where we work from the accepted truth of Christ and Scripture as the, the basis of our worldview, um, and move out from there to pr- prove our point. What we're wanting those who would listen to this conversation to participate with is um, with us on is that um, they would join the conversation and see with us the overwhelming impact um, by the birth of, of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that takes us really to um, a couple of different areas that we kind of want to walk through. Uh, over the next few moments, and and we'll see uh, how many we can we can get through. But the first one I, I think we can look at here is the importance of families. Now, how, how now? What if Jesus had never been born? The question that we want to ask to each one of these uh, areas. So the importance of families. And so when we think about what the structure of a family is, this was something that we talked back uh, about back in the uh, I, think, I think the first episode uh, of this mm-hmm. podcast series. Uh, is the family unit? Uh, the question is that uh, t- t- tags along to this: Is the family unit something that any arrangement of any sort can be called a quote-unquote family, or uh, alternatively, is there an underlying structure in the institution of marriage that that effectively says this is what a marriage looks like? And as Christians, I think we would say the latter is true. And look, when we look at Genesis chapter two, this is what we talked about right. again in that first podcast that God instituted marriage to be a union between one man and one woman. This is a good thing, and we live in a society that has very much rejected that in in a number of different ways. And and there was a, there was an article that came out after the Obergefell decision in 2015. 
that uh, legalize uh, same-sex marriage. And um, this article argued that, okay, well, since we've got same-sex marriage now, what's the next step? Uh, how do we how do we go even further? And, and the article, uh, the author of this article was saying, well, the next thing now is a polygamous relationship, polygamous marriages. We need to be able to have that legalized as well. And this is what the author said. They said this, the question presents itself, where does the next advance come? The answer is going to make nearly everyone uncomfortable. Now that we've defined love and devotion now, now that we define that love and devotion and family isn't dri- driven by gender alone, why should it be limited to just two individuals? The most, the most natural advance for marriage lies in legalized polygamy. Yet many of those same people who press for marriage equality for gay, for gay couples oppose it, that is polygamy. Yet the moral reasoning behind society's rejection of polygamy remains just as uncomfortable and legally weak as same-sex marriage opposition was until recently. And so this is the person who's saying, hey, that's great that we got same-sex marriage, but we're not done yet. And so for this person, they're saying that there is no intrinsic structure to marriage that we need to uh, kind of abide by, but rather it can be whatever relationship that we want it to be, and we should need to get enough people on our side to make that change happen. Right. I mean, uh, when we're look, uh, going going back to our, our base question is what if what if Christ had not been born? How how, how has his teachings impacted our understanding of the family? Right. I find it interesting in, in looking at all the statements of Jesus in the New Testament. He never once questioned the authority of the Old Testament. Right. Where we read of the first uh, marriage where, where marriage comes on the scene in Genesis two uh, as a creation uh, of God. Um, and bringing Adam and Eve together. So Jesus affirmed that, spoke to that in Matthew 19 and other places. And then if you'll look at how the church took the teachings of Christ and applied it to family life, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, mm-hmm. uh, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and that wives are to follow the servant leadership of their husband, and that that indeed, that whole marriage picture is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. Right. Right, and 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 again, we want to want to say here again that that fathers matter, and mothers matter, and just when we look at statistics, when you remove one of those, either a father or a mother out of the household, bad things happen. The children suffer uh, greatly. That they're. Um, and, and then society suffers as well. There's a ripple effect. It doesn't just stay inside the home, but the, ch- the parents suffer, the children suffer, and then the community around them suffer. And so I, I think we would argue that there's a number of reasons for that, but one of those is, again, that God had designed marriage to be in a specific way, one man, one woman, and when we deviate from that, bad thing come from that. Well, you know, Alex, you mentioned a moment ago just the, the how the world is saturated with Christian influence. You mm-hmm. mentioned the family and uh, articulated uh, those points uh, very well. I think that's where we stand. And apart from um, that uh, that testimony of Christ in Scripture, we would be, you know, just lost, right. groping in the dark. But uh, some other things that come to my mind, too, is just how the presence of Christ I- impacted... Um, um, education, mm-hmm. um, universities, uh, most of the world's greatest universities were started by Christians for Christian purposes. Yep. Um, and that the Bible doesn't champion the lazy mind that we're to love the Lord God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. 
And so we shouldn't be surprised that these great universities were started by Christians for Christian purposes. I mean, if you look at the cornerstones uh, on colleges such as Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth was founded to train missionaries uh, to the Indians. Um, Princeton, uh, Reverend John Witherspoon wrote, Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. So had, had Jesus never been born, the human race would yet remain in the darkness of sin and the darkness of ignorance. And right. It's, yeah. That's exactly right. Again, the Christian, the Christian worldview is one that champions uh, the the importance of education, the importance of loving God with our mind. It, I, I've heard it more times than I can count that to be a Christian is to kind of check your brain off of the door, it, to have blind faith, and the Bible says no such thing. Uh, that we're, we're called to, to use our mind and to love God uh, with our mind, and that, that's a good thing to be doing. Uh, in addition to that, in addition to education, also the importance of family, we might also say that, talk about the, the value of human life itself. You know, mm. where, where do we get this idea that human life is even valuable to begin with? And so I think of, you know, we were talking before uh, the podcast about how uh, one of the the doesn't seem to be much news about it right now with all everything else that's going on. Uh, but the, the, the hashtag me too movement that, that which is a very serious thing. And, and then it's just awful to hear these stories that are associated, associated with it, that, um, primarily women, but also men as well, uh, who are being, um, sexually assaulted and, um, and harmed in, in terrible ways. That's, that's an awful thing. To have done, and and uh, it, it breaks my heart to hear some of these stories, but, but also too, it also raise, it gives us an opportunity to to ask this question on the back end of this now, which is, what why do we think that sexual assault is a bad thing? Now, I want to be very clear: we of course think that it is. I'm not questioning that at all. My my question right now is, if Jesus where did that never, come from? Yeah, where, where did that idea come from? And so the, where did the idea that human life is valuable come from? And I don't know how you get there outside of a Christian worldview. Um, when you look at uh, human history and you read uh, some history books on what's going on in other parts of the world, even not even just now, but also in the past, um, you don't have this kind of emphasis. And so where, where, does that, that, where did that idea even come from? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, outside of a Christian worldview, that is, I don't. I don't know how. I, I. I think you'd be hard pressed to come up with a me too to get any kind of momentum on a me too movement outside if you're not already borrowing capital from a Christian worldview. I just don't think it's. I don't think it's there. And to kind of slice that pie up a little bit more, when we think about the the value of human life, you think about the idea that uh, Christians have historically uh, championed the uh, helping the poor. We have championed the idea of human rights. We have championed the idea of, of health care. Okay, compassion ministries. And yeah. compassion ministries and all that. And so uh, maybe to take one of those one by one, uh, the, the idea of helping the poor. Um, I, I, had, I had lunch a couple of years ago with an economist and we were talking, and this economist's work uh, focused uh, and specialized rather on the on the monetary value of human life. That's what that's what their work did, mm. and, and they and they their numbers would be used by um, a number of different places. But I, I asked this question uh, over lunch. I said, "Okay, and and if you took your work aside, and then their work had to do again that uh, a human life is worth X amount of money. If you take the money aspect aside, that uh, the human life is not worth." 
whatever that money amount is, if you remove this part from the conversation, is human life worth anything? And they quickly said no. Like, not just like a reflex. They quickly said no. Human life did not have any intrinsic worth. So for him, he's saying that it doesn't have any intrinsic worth. It's only worth what we deem it to be as human. I think that's a really problematic. Uh, never mind his wife was there, by the way. And, I, and, and we're, we're all three eating lunch, and, and I, I didn't want to press it anymore. But that's been, in, in effect, that's saying that his wife isn't worth anything. And he, he's not going to say that, and I don't think he thinks that. But I think that's where the logical end of that conversation goes. Well, I goes. think the two examples you just mentioned about the Me Too movement and, and why is something wrong, mm-hmm. why, why, do we th- why do we say that's wrong, as well as the value of human beings who are created in the image of God and who are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, um, that we come really to see the, the pride of humanism. It's, we, we, we give humanity too much credit as if there were some committee or some body or legislature that could come up with moral codes that would lead us in the right direction. Well, that's not the way it came to us at all. Right. We see the impact of biblical revelation upon this nation, and that is what determines what is right and what is wrong for us and has for 240 years. But in recent years, Days, there's been a putting off. There's been a, a, just, I think, a, an unbelievable hubris that somehow we can make our own way. Um, I remember years ago, Ted Turner of um, Cable News Network fame saying, "You know, we need to put away put away the Ten Commandments, and we need to have a contest to see who can come up with the best ending to it all right. to guide us to the end." Well, that's I think that's an indicator of of what may be in a more sophisticated way uh, the way the world views at, at at morality. It's a wax nose. It's always changing and conforming to um, you know what the ebb and flow and the fickleness of uh, the human heart. That's right. And and again, I, so unless you have some sort of objective standard of right and wrong, which I think it's only possible in a Christian worldview then everything is just relative. It's, just, it's up to each culture, or, or even to break it down even more than that, up to each individual people group. I mean, it, it, and you can go into really extreme directions with that. Does that mean that, you know, I have my own personal moral code that I, I can somehow hold you bound to? I, I don't... Well, it, you know, see, Alex, this is an important thing to communicate, I think, in our conversation of, of, of why we love Christ. Is he, We love him because he first loved us. Right. Because sin has dealt such a devastating blow to the, hum- the human race, we don't seek him, we don't want him, we don't run to him. That's not the way we're described in Romans 3 and other places. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Right. And so, you know, every time I communicate the gospel with someone, I, I try to just go through the Ten Commandments. No other gods, no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain, Re- uh, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, honor your father and mother, don't murder uh, don't um, commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't mm-hmm. covet what your neighbor has. Mm-hmm. How have we done at keeping those commandments? Right. We, we're abysmal failures. We don't even keep our own expectations. Um, and especially when you look at how sin is enlarged and expanded in Jesus' definition in the Sermon on the Mount, that if we hate somebody in our heart, we're guilty of murder. We're, that's a murderous attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, lust is uh, um, adulterous in its nature and is sinful to harbor that in our heart and other things as well. Mm-hmm. Then we begin to think of things that we've stolen in our lifetime. And then, you know, our, 
our, our track record on truth. Um, Psalm 116 says, all men are liars. Isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. And so this brings us back to, we're not advocating a self-righteousness. Christianity communicates that all of us have fallen short of God's glory, and the church is full of sins through the years, mm-hmm. um, even to this present time. But that's not our boast at Christmas, is it? No, no, no. not at all. Our, our boast is a Savior's come, uh-huh. Christ Jesus the Lord. Right. And that gives hope um, when we look at these things. What about lives changed? Yeah, life change is another uh, great one. I was just thinking, you know, just the the impact and the power of a changed life mm. of, of someone who's come to Christ. And this isn't something that's new at all. Um, there, there's, uh, there's a quote about the Christians in, in the second century, and, and this is a little bit long. I, I want you to, to, to yeah. hear this. Uh, again, it's Christians in the second century, and here's what the people saw, what they wrote. They said, they, Christian, marry as do all others. They beget children, but they don't destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and are restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They, they are in lack of all things, and yet they abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evilly spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and they bless. They are insulted, and they repay the insult with honor. They do good, and yet they are punished as evildoers. When they're punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed as foreigners, and they are persecuted by the Greeks, and yet those who hate them, hate the Christian, are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. I should think about the power in the, in the, of, the, of the witness, um, that someone who has come to Christ, how different their life is, and, mm. and just thinking about what, um, what it means when Jesus said to, to be um, that you're a city on a hill, that there's a difference, that it's noticeable. And you know, just looking at the Gospels too, Alex, uh, just uh, the, the deliberate nature of the Gospel writers, like the Gerasene demoniac, here mm-hmm. in Mark 5, here's a man who's naked and walking in the graves, uh, in, a, in a graveyard, cemetery. Uh, he has, you know, shackles, but the chains are broken because of supernatural strength. And he's, you know, just tormented. And after encountering Jesus, he was clothed and in his right mind. And what about, Zac- what about Zacchaeus, you know, in Luke 19, who was the community cheat? And an afternoon with Jesus, he says, all that I have stolen, uh, defrauded, I will repay fourfold. There's a life that's been changed. And what about Saul of Tarsus, who was on the Damascus Road for the express purpose? He had paperwork. I mean, he was going from Jerusalem to Damascus to persecute Christians. And on that road, he encountered the living, resurrected Christ. Mm-hmm. And so he was changed and became the apostle to the Gentiles. I think of John Newton of Amazing Grace fame, uh, who said, My memory's nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Absolutely. And I just, and I, I want to think about you know, this Christmas, how one of, the greatest, one of the greatest testimonies that we can share with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, is the transforming power of Christ 
in, in, our, in my own life and in, in the lives of my family and, and, and showing how Jesus changes all things. Uh, who, who else did you have in mind you, you were going to share? Well, you know, I think of C.S. Lewis. I think of Charles Coulson. I think of so many that are uh, of public, um, uh, you know, acknowledgement of, of of their 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 faith in Christ. And you know, I th- I'm thinking too as we're you know coming to the end of this podcast. You know, how how should we move forward? Mm-hmm. You know, I think Christmas is a wonderful opportunity for us to seize um, the season to communicate truth. C.S. Lewis. Uh, I think really spoke to a danger we're facing right now in our culture. And that is um, something he called uh, chronological snobbery, which is a, you know, a fallacy of thought, which basically is our prideful tendency to think that we are the only generation who's ever lived. Right. And consequently our thoughts and ideas and innovation and experiences are really the only ones that matter. And the Gospel, John go, the Gospel of John goes on record calling us to the timeless claims that come with Christ. That the first time he came in obscurity in Bethlehem's manger, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, three days later rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again, Alex. Mm-hmm. When we think about the first coming and the even... Uh, more noted uh, references to his second coming. Right. This is truly a word of hope, but it should impact our, our witness. You know, Martin Luther said that when he read the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, he felt as if Jesus had only died yesterday. And I think we need to think that of Christmas and every aspect of Christ's life because he is alive. And the incarnation really teaches us that he's... Um, that God takes initiative, God mm-hmm. keeps his promises, uh, God's in control, and God has demonstrated his love to us. I, I, I thought maybe we could close Alex um, with this conversation, uh, just a reference to um, James Allen Francis, uh, his little piece that's often referenced this time of year. Uh, when, and, and speaking of Jesus, he, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman, he grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30 years old. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place from where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone. 21 now, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humanity on this earth as much as that one solitary life. And so, Alex, it's with great joy that we call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race Podcast. To find out more information about our church and ministries or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcast, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks. And if you found the podcast interesting and helpful, recommend us to a friend or family member that you think would enjoy it. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.